Alex, thank you so much for joining us today, sir. We will get into your history in business. We will get into growing your company, Pasta Evangelist, the acquisition, and a lot more very shortly. The first thing I wanted to start with is reviews. Now, reviews are very, very important to any business. Everyone knows that. So I'm just going to read a couple of reviews that you had a few years ago, shall we say. Uh, I like it because it's a good uh, lesson on how not to run a bit and set up a business. That's from Jenny Campbell. Um, this one will be a new one for me if this works. That's Peter Jones. I'm shocked that there are investors willing to part with their money. It must be the Italian charm. That is Tuka Suleiman. So what we're referring to there is obviously you were on Dragon's Den several years ago and on the BBC in front of millions of people. And uh, I think you got the last laugh. So uh, could you just kind of, how do you reflect on that time going on uh, Dragon's Den uh, and obviously growing the company to to the point that you are now? I would say... um... Have we had the last laugh? Yeah, potentially with with, with the dragons and, and and a lot of people who over the years had some doubts or they thought our business was not a big good business for sure. We've sold it to the biggest pasta company in the world, so that's a, that's a pretty green tick, I would say. Um, having said that, you know our business still has issues, um, and we're still a growing business with growing pains. And therefore, as far as I'm concerned, I still haven't had the last laugh because maybe maybe I never will um, because I still feel like we're we're still wading through the river uh, and we still haven't got to the other side. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we'll go into a little bit more of the kind of journey um, with the business, but let's kind of just focus on yourself for a little bit. Could you just give us a little bit of an overview of your uh, career to date? Yeah, I am. Um, my career, well, I mean, I grew up in Italy, and uh, when I was uh, 19, I finished high school, and I came to the UK to do economics. My first finance, investment banking, finance, I, 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 I'm still interested in it. I like numbers, I like business, uh, I like finance. I worked in finance for four years after business, after undergrad. I worked in the city, in, in banks. I enjoyed this. Uh, I worked in corporate finance. Uh, however, after four years, I realized I need to go back to school, do a master's degree to learn uh, about business education. So I went to a business school, an MBA in New York at Columbia Business School. That was a maybe to study a lot of topics I hadn't studied at university, live in the US, uh, attend a, a very good uh, business school. Um, and that's, that lasted two years. During business school, I realized I wanted to start my own company. I always had that in the back of my mind. My father's an entrepreneur. Uh, I've always been interested in business and entrepreneurship. And uh, and during business school, I started my company, which was a luxury smartphone venture. And that lasted eight years and unfortunately did not work out. After that, I started Passive Angelists, which took me for seven years. Um, so I've gone from finance to phones and jewelry, and pasta. Yeah, it's, it's quite a quite a, a shift there. That's for sure. A few different sectors covered. But I, I want to just go back to that kind of smartphone side of things. And like you mentioned, the jewelry and, you know, that that company, it, just looking at it was such an interesting business. I mean, do you think it was a little bit in a way, a little bit ahead of its time? Because it was when, you know, smartphones definitely weren't as good as they are now. And, you know, do you, do you ever look back and go like, oh, if it had been a few years later, you never know what would have happened? I think, to be honest, it was just impossible 
uh, irrespective of timing. Um, why? For a number of reasons. Number one, developing a smartphone hardware technology piece um, is, is very complicated. Even for the big companies, developing a phone is a monumental task where you need to have lots of resources, lots of capital. Uh, and um, so complicated products. Two, what I've learned is that at a certain price point, a, an, a, a consumer of products, luxury goods, is, a, is um, attracted only by an international consumer. Uh, I.e., in the in London, you're not saying to Londoners, you're saying to people who come from abroad to London, which could be Chinese, could be the Middle East, could be Russian, could be Americans. And to attract that global consumer, to an extent, you need global communication, global marketing, global awareness. Uh, so much more challenging. You have complicated products where you need to have built an international brand, um, and from a marketing perspective. And from a sales perspective, the distribution is very complicated because you're having to con convince retailers who only want to have safe bets, who won't only want to sell mega brands like Rolex or Cartier or Omega, because um, they know how hard it is for small brands to create that awareness. So it's complicated from a product, marketing, and sales perspective. Um, and for me, it's a, it a terrific terrible and terrific learning expertise experience. So, you know, if we come to the end of that kind of eight year journey with that business, was there a, a specific signal that you came across that went, this is actually time to, to wind this down or did the market kind of do that naturally? It's a good question. I mean, unfortunately, well, in my case, the winding down took a while. It didn't happen. Sometimes these winding downs can be brutal when something very negative happens. In our case, it was a slow death, uh, probably around two years from mid 2014 to mid 2016. Um, and uh, I was still fighting to get distribution, fighting to get sales, but this was proving extremely difficult because of the brand awareness. We had had tech and product issues in the past as well. Um, and so the timing wasn't very good. We, there was issues in China and Hong Kong and the Russia, oil prices had, um, had halved. And therefore, Russia and the Middle East are shut down for luxury goods. So bad timing didn't, didn't, didn't help. Uh, all the complexities which I outlined earlier. And um, there, so there wasn't a signal. It was just a slow, slow process, uh, very painful, where we kept on trying till the bitter end. And, uh, but it was just impossible. Yeah, no, absolutely. And let's kind of go, let's stick with that kind of timeline and kind of stick in that kind of mid-2016 area. And, you know, you, you're winding down that company and then suddenly this idea blossoms. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the kind of genesis of Pasta Evangelists and, and, and what your mindset was obviously coming from being kind of beaten down by having to wind up your old company? Yeah, I mean, it's weird because many from the outside, luxury smartphone and Pasta uh, seem quite different propositions. And indeed they are. Having said that, a lot of the ingredients in my previous company were helpful in developing the second company, i.e. they're both startups, they're both branded products, they're both premium offers, they both have craftsmanship and storytelling at the center of the business. They both have got HR, legal, financial, funding, ops issues. 
Um, so when I told my father when my first business failed, I told him all the learnings that I've had for the first business will only blossom and help in the second business. And, and, and to an extent, I think I was right. Um, uh, having said that, now I am keen to focus on food and pasta because it takes time to develop expertise and I really want to uh, hone these expertise and make it better and better and make the product better and better. Um, from a personal perspective, I am not quite sure how I managed to go from a bitter failure to starting a new business in two days. Many people have asked me this question. I don't think I'd have the strength now. Um, I think I didn't really think about it too much and I didn't have any other options. Yeah, no, that, that definitely helps. And, you know, I, again, I'm quite intrigued at your, you know, you, you mentioned your dad there and you've mentioned already that he's an entrepreneur himself. So do you feel like having that kind of um, support system around you helped when you were going through that very difficult kind of stage of closing down another business and then kind of hopping on to the next venture? Do you think that support network definitely helped you get through that? I would say two things. I mean, yes, I'm very lucky. Very entrepreneurial, especially my father. That is very, yeah, very lucky. Um, what I would say, just in case your father's a, a lawyer or a postman or, or whatever job he does, or your mother or whatever, I would say it is helpful to have a support system. You can have it or you can build it or both. Um, in other words, irrespective of your, of your career, you need to have, call them mentors, call them support system, call them people in your family, call them friends, call them colleagues, but you need to have people you can call up and say, how do you do this? How would you do this? Um, because uh, if you haven't got that, you make even more mistakes. And another thing I'm quite intrigued about, especially at the beginning of the past evangelist journey, um, it obviously wasn't just yourself that kind of started the business. Now, as far as kind of founding co-founders that would uh, you knew would grow, help you grow the business in a in a very good way and kind of leaning on other people. How did you find the, uh, the 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 people to put around you to be able to help you to grow this 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 business to where it is today? And even here, I've got two thoughts. First one is, um, if you are starting a business, my personal view is that on balance, it's better to have more than one founder. Um, it's more credible, arguably. You can move quicker. Um, you can manage the ebbs and flows that founding a business entails. Funding, arguably, is easier because you've got a team, not a solo one-man band. One-man band. Uh, it's less lonely. Uh, and, and most importantly, you can hopefully build a founding team which has got different skill sets. So it's more complete. Bottom line, I think, Personally, that's if you've got more than one founder, on balance, your venture is less risky. Uh, and I think a founder is all about risk reduction. Uh, point one. Point two, unfortunately, finding the right people is a, is a dark art, it's a complex art, um, and it's a bit of a random process. Uh, so what I did, but I do think it, to an extent, it's the, the more you try, the, 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 the higher the chance of success, I think. Uh, so I met 25 people um and for my co-founder role some of them i met more than once so i spent two or three grand meeting potential co-founders coffee lunch lunch coffee uh but this time ends up being very well spent if and when you find the right person uh, it's like getting married 
Um, so, and, and I would be very, both of my co-founders, I didn't know them. I got to introduced by people I didn't know. So in a way, it was pure randomness and pure stranger, nothing to do with my network. Um, so, but I would be open to that. I would be open to finding someone you absolutely don't know, um, which is not part of your network. Um, so in, in, that, in a nutshell, I personally think get founders, get co-founders, uh, be open to them coming from completely random places, um, try and have clear roles from the start. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and let's just keep at that early part of that journey. Um, you know, you, you mentioned you had two other co-founders that you didn't know, which again is an, in, is, is an interesting thing itself. But was there a moment where in that early in that journey where you were like, you know what, this thing is actually going to work. These guys I've got around me are actually really, really handy. Was there a specific moment that you can think of? Honestly, there's as many moments where I thought this is not going to work. And where I think thought it was going to work. Uh, we've had good moments, you know. Um, 2018, a year and a half in, we launched our subscription. We launched a Sold overnight. August 2018, we went to Dragon's Den. Uh, we had a massive growth there. November 2018, we launched in Harrods, first big away from online. Then we had March 2020, COVID happened, our sales went through the roof. 2021, our sales doubled versus the previous year because we started our takeaway business. Uh, May 2021, we launched our restaurant in Harrods. Um, and you know what? Three weeks ago, our business grew week on week 20% um, because of a number of small changes uh, which we've done uh, in our offer and our pricing and so on. Uh, what I have seen is that it's weird. Sometimes you do lots of changes and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And so people say, ah, I told you it was a bad idea to do those changes. But then what happens, and it's a bit... It's a bit random, this process. It's not linear. Uh, all of a sudden, all of that energy, passion, changes, momentum that hasn't yielded any results, all of a sudden, in one week, it will happen all at once. And you won't be able to rationalize it. Uh, and that happens, not frequently, unfortunately. But when it happens, that's when you're going to hit the gas even harder because you've finally got momentum. That's what we're trying to do right now. Yeah, no, that's that's so brilliant. And, you know, you, you've already mentioned kind of that partnership with Harrods. And how did that come about? What what was the steps? Did they approach you? Did you pitch to them? How, how did that uh, relationship end up uh, coming to being? I'm very proud of being Harrods. I think Harrods is, the, you know, we're, we're living in London. Harrods is our door, well, somewhat close to our house, right? Central London. So we go there. One can go there. It's easy to go. It's around the corner. Having said that, I've been to many of these departments, many of the international luxury departments stores around the world. Harrods is a different, is a different league. Uh, so for us to be in Harrods, we're literally in by far the best uh, shop in the world. And uh, there's no, there's no comparison. Uh, and being the only pasta brand in Harrods is something that I'm extremely proud of. Um, and um, when I launched my previous company in Harrods, I've got a phone in Harrods and the pass in Harrods. So I've done this a number of times. Easy. And as usual, sometimes you get lucky. There's a the right timing. Something happens. Equally other times, you've got to knock on the door more than once. Um, with my phone business, 
I probably had 10 different interactions with Harrods, buyers, chief merchants, junior buyers. Um, and it was no, 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 yes. Uh, so for what, I, in my, what I try and tell my team is no doesn't mean no, no means not now. Um, and, uh, and, uh, but well, yeah, if you've got a, if you've got something which is good, which you believe in, you've got to keep on trying and sooner or later you might be able to open the door. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, again, you've kind of covered, uh, the offering that you do have. It's a very diverse offering and, you know, there's definitely a thought, uh, in, in business, uh, that if you spread yourself too thin as an organization with an offering, um, you, you tend to kind of dilute the resources and you might actually get yourself in trouble um, as opposed to growing. But obviously for yourselves, you've done so well with that really, really diverse offering that you have. So like you mentioned, the pasta bar at Harrods, the uh, multiple locations around the UK as far as dark kitchens goes, your subscription service, the Pasta Academy, it's all, it's all brilliant, you know, offering that you have. But was there ever kind of part of you that was like, oh, I don't really know if I, we should have a have a, an actual physical restaurant in, in Harrods or were you kind of like, let's just go foot on the gas, we can do this? It's hard because you don't want to be the one that fails because they've done too many things. because They've been enough too much to chew. Uh, so I'm, I am conscious of that. Um, so I am, I'm, you know, we have stopped doing things uh, over the years. And some things we do more of rather than others that we do less of. Uh, ultimately, there are synergies. When you market a brand, there, there is spillover to other channels. It's one brand. When you develop a product, most likely you can sell it in different channels. Um, when you hire a support finance team, um, they can do payroll or finance for different channels. Um, and, and, and ultimately, nowadays, especially, People consume for us in different ways, uh, you know. So food, you might buy in a shop, you might eat in a restaurant, you might get it in takeaway, you might buy it directly from the brands. Um, i.e. there's more channels, but from a consumer perspective, you're always buying the same brands. And in many cases, the same products. Uh, you don't really think of, of the channels. Um, and, uh, and sometimes what we've seen is that People buy, prefer buying certain products in certain channels, the personal preference. Um, two, they bring awareness to channels. These are, not, these are not only sales mechanisms, but they're also marketing and brand building mechanisms. Um, and so we, to date, I still believe that, the, and furthermore, again, an entrepreneur's job is to risk, risk reduction, whether it's legal risk, HR risk, financial risk, product risk, you name it. Um, and having different channels, you know, you're going to war with different weapons, you know, uh, and therefore, if, uh, if, uh, if, you know, if it rains and your gunpowder gets wet, you've got a knife. You know, if the weapon's far away, you've got bow and arrows. Uh, it, you know, if you've only got one of these weapons and, and, and things turn, there's a COVID, there's a recession, um, maybe your business suffers or, or perhaps even closes because you've been pu- purely reliant on one commercial avenue. Yeah, no, exactly. And keeping along that that same line, you know, if we go back to March 2020, you obviously experienced a bit of a spike. And, you know, with lockdowns and everything, the meal kits were, were very, very popular with people. So that kind of side of your business did really well. But, you know, 
if we go back to when Boris Johnson is making that announcement that there's going to be a lockdown, can you remember the overwhelming feelings that you had then? Were you stressed about it as far as a business goes, you know, from a purely business level? Did you see the opportunity straight away and went, this is going to be brilliant? From a personal perspective, there was this big unknown, somewhat fear, somewhat puzzlement, because I must have been through a pandemic. And therefore, I think most people's personal reactions were the same, I would guess. From pretty much immediately, we saw that sales were going through the roof. So, frankly speaking, I did think that from a commercial perspective, this was a unique opportunity. We grab the bull by the horns and go for it. We didn't know how long it would have left, lasted. We didn't know, we didn't know anything. Uh, but we did see a tsunami of orders come through. And we decided to get the surfboard out and try and catch that wave. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, just just not too long after that, only a space of 12 to 18 months, you did actually end up doing a deal, as we mentioned, with Barilla Group, um, 130-year-old company. Um, what, what a rich history. But let's go back to the beginning of that. And, you know, kind of even before you'd kind of had that initial approach, had you had offers from other companies and, and was that a consideration or was that just a natural fit? As soon as the offer came through, you were like, this is the offer we're going to end a story. It's both. Um, for sure, there's a natural fit. Beryl is Italian. I'm Italian. Beryl makes pasta. We make pasta. Beryl is not really present in a, mean, in a sizable way in the UK or UK based. Uh, the natural fits uh, from a personal and from a business perspective, I would say. Um, having said that, you know, we were, again, similar to the commercial avenues point I made earlier, we, all were, we always had to have multiple offers, not only to maximize value, but to diminish risk. If you got one offer, and this offer comes off the table, you're toast. Uh, and therefore, yeah, we had multiple offers from multiple parties. And then if obviously you've gone through the acquisition process, but if there was a way or if you could go back and talk to yourself and be like, you should actually kind of fix this, this is going to make the whole process a hell of a lot easier. Um, was there anything that kind of came to mind or as a business, were you pretty prepped as far as, you know, the, the eventual acquisition that would have come? We weren't prepped, but we were prepped quickly. Um, and uh, so I think I wouldn't change anything that would say. It was the right timing, the right execution, the right speed, the right. Yeah, was, I think it's a good deal for everyone. Uh, and uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. So a lot of the promises we made haven't been fulfilled yet. Some of them have been fulfilled. Some of them will, will be fulfilled. Um, and um, and um, I think one learning I had was that you know sometimes when people do business, they they overinflate timelines. They will say, this is going to take two months, three months, one month, when in reality, if push comes to shove, um, it can be done in half the time, a third of the time, it could be compressed. And I think with a startup especially, the founder's job is to compress these timelines without you know, hurting you know, safety and this and that. But I think many people have a tendency to over to extend, exaggerate timetables. Uh, and I'm a big fan of saying, keep in two days. Uh, and, and I often give an example that we did the due diligence for selling our business to a very large international conglomerate in, in two and a half weeks. 
Yeah, no, that's 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 incredible. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, again, we'll we'll come kind of full circle to this, but let's go back to that kind of dragon's den time. And you know, that there is definitely a when you look back on the the video now, it's obviously up for everyone to watch on the BBC's YouTube. But you know, even like what. Um, Peter Jones said, this would be a new one for me if this works. In a weird way, you guys are actually kind of disruptors because you effectively changed the game. Where, you know, you had very experienced business people looking at you going, there's no way that business model is going to work. And you kind of f- flew in the face of that. And kind of on on reflection, do you feel like you're a bit of a disruptor or are you just an entrepreneur who knows what they want and and was incredibly passionate about getting it? I think for sure, passion is a is a core, core, core element of what we do. Uh, the product we do is also an emotional product, right? Uh, coming from an emotional country, uh, one could say, Italy. Uh, so I think passion is key. Um, I think we have disrupted the the business, the, the category. You know, pasta in a recipe kit, pasta takeaway. Yes, we haven't invented. You know, these are not really inventions, but no one's done these things before. We've been copied tens of times. Um, so we have disrupted, we, are, we do things, we are very disruptive, I would say, uh, but it's not rocket science, it's pasta. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, yeah. so uh, I think ultimately entrepreneurs' job is to somehow copy things that are already out there, but maybe from different sectors uh in, in 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 novel ways uh also keeping in mind what's going on in the market right recipe kits online food online delivery these are big trends which will definitely were, were growing five years ago but you know someone told me it's important to get when you get in the elevator you, you may, it's important to get on an elevator which is going up uh, i.e on a trend which is going the right direction uh and and i think businesses is really um, aligns with fast-growing trends. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, again, I'm quite curious about um, kind of the relationship uh, that, uh, you know, countries have with failure. So if you look at the States, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a good relationship with failure, especially in the business sector of like, you know, people are going to fail. That's how it works. In the UK, there seems to be a pretty good uh, relationship with failure, especially in business, and I'm just intrigued about kind of the Italian side. You know, what what's kind of the Italian attitude towards failure in a business sense? You know, is there a bit of that that real, real uh, good um, focus about getting back on the horse, or is it kind of a little bit of a stigma where it's like, oh, you've you've failed at something? What, what, what's that relationship in in, in Italy? I mean, I, I don't really know. I, I haven't lived in Italy for many years. Um, what I would say is that um, I, I never hear people really talking about failure, especially profound, painful, expensive, lengthy failure. Uh, you know, it must happen. I can't be the only one who's happened to. But I never hear people really talking about it. And I think that's a mistake. Uh, I actually seen that when I started my second company, people were surprisingly very supportive that my first venture had not worked out, irrespective of the country. Italians, English, Americans. People, actually, when we sold the business to Barilla, Barilla was very interested in hearing about 
my first company, the experience that I bought. Uh, so my feeling is that people um, are, are more accepting of failure than what one would expect. Uh, but the people who do experience failure, perhaps they are less keen to talk about it because they think it will tarnish them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we'll just kind of rewind a little bit before the acquisition. And, you know, obviously you were on Dragon's Den for funding and you did actually make quite a bit of funding between, you know, kind of Dragon's Den and the the final acquisition. But, you know, how did you find that experience? And, you know, people and, and entrepreneurs and business leaders who may be going through the fundraising process, um, do you have any kind of tips for them? Anything that uh, you'd like to pass along? I think fun is brutal fundraising. It is a numbers game. Uh, irrespective of you're raising funds for an established private equity fund or for a seed round or a startup, irrespective of you're raising 100K or, or, or uh, it is a numbers game. Uh, and you have to have lots of meetings with qualified individuals. Um, it requires passion um, and um, it's a process. It's not a it's a real process. It takes months, um, and so, and and like uh, inevitably, ninety percent of the people you'll meet will say no. Uh, so this in itself will be a toughening ex- experience because uh, the default is a no, and you need to get yourself back up on the horse and punch hard a second time, knowing that the likelihood will be no again. Uh, and um, yeah, but it's a necessary evil. We've got to do it. It's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Jill Dando News Center to bring you the good news postcard. Alex, today your question comes from Grace, aged 11. Hello, my name is Grace from Jill Dando News Center at Castlebatch Primary School Academy, and I'd like to ask you the question, what's your greatest strength and how does it benefit you? Dear Grace, my my greatest strength, and how does it benefit me? It's a really tricky one. I'm obviously slightly biased to talk about myself, um, but I'd like to think that I don't give up easily, um, which some people may think that means stubbornness. I think of it more as creativity uh, and, and tenacity. Uh, what does that mean? It means that whenever I'm doing something, uh, especially in business, which I really believe that we should be doing, um, I will try multiple ways to get that objective, whether it's in hiring, whether it's a customer, whether it's a supplier, um, whether it's getting to Harrods. Um, I will keep on trying and trying. I will, I will be patient and I'll wait and then try again. Uh, and I'll try and find different ways of getting to that objective. I will contact many people to get to that objective. I'll contact people that I know. I'll contact people I haven't been in touch with for a long time. Um, I'll ask for introductions to get that, ob- that, object- that objective. Um, and I probably won't be um, upset if initially I, I can't get to that. So I would say, yeah, my best, my, my, I think my best skill is probably tenacity and not giving up. 
That is a great answer to a great question. Thank you very much for that, Alex. And we are business leaders, so we have to ask you the question, what to you makes a great business leader? I think business is not easy. It's, there's many things to it. Um, and uh, I think I think for sure one, one important trait is empathy. Empathy uh, enables you to understand people working with you, whether they're in your team, whether they're customers, whether they're retailers, whether they're suppliers. Uh, I think people want to work with people who've got empathy. Um, another one is there's not many geniuses in the world, really, I think. I haven't met too many. And the other, therefore, the other lever is you got to work hard. And work hard means intensity, long hours, weekends, holidays, evenings. I, 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 I struggle, again, if, unless you're a genius, for someone to, to be successful if they're not working very hard. Um, and um, yeah, I think, I think these are probably two important ones. If you want one other empathy and one other one, intensity and working hard, you're probably you know, you're probably a good start, I would say. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, like I said, we really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for doing this. And do you have any final kind of words for our audience? Keep in mind, these are business leaders, uh, you know, with, with growing businesses. I definitely think that one thing we have done right is this omni-channel approach, whereby um, when COVID hit, we had an online business which did extremely well. Um, a year and a half ago, when online and e-commerce declined quite severely, we had a other parts of the business which were not online, which did very well. Uh, on the other hand, our recipe kit business, our e-commerce business, declined quite severely. Had we stayed on that one horse, which had been a winning horse in 2020, 2021 during COVID, that horse um, would have been a losing horse uh, a year ago. And uh, so I, I, I really encourage people, on one hand, you are distracting yourself, but you, I really believe in finding different commercial avenues for selling your product. <laughs>